0: Shalom, and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles.
1: For those who are joining from L.A., just, you know, the, the background of this group, we, we back before pandemic, started watching Shtissel, and then we watched both seasons of Shtissel, the and then watched Mekimi, which is a five-part, I believe, series on, uh, on Amazon Prime. Yeah, Amazon yeah. Prime that... Um, is based on an autobiography of a woman who's a bala tshuva becomes a Bres- she was a TV personality who became a Hasid. Um and now we're, you know, now we're going disagreeing with, with y'all. So, um, yeah, so w- with, um, what's his name in the park? What's, uh, the guy, uh, why am I forgetting his name? The, the guy that, who goes and sits in the park. Amir? Amir, Amir. Yeah. Amir, you know, um, right when he's going to the park those the people there are presumably Breslov Hasidim yeah i mean they, not presumably they even quote from rabbi nachman so seem pretty clearly to be Breslov Hasidim who they're kind of their own hasidim who um are they
2: didn't have nana cats what was that they didn't. You're
1: right. They didn't have the kippah that has na nah. You already said that. No, they didn't have the na nach nacham nachman nah, nah. yeah. uh, It's true. But they, yeah. you know, they quoted from uh, from him about you know this idea that you know everyone has their own song inside them, right? That's something that you know Hasidim in general. So most Hasidic groups are very inward focused, and the two big exceptions to that are Chabad and Breslav in very different ways, um, which are very outward focused, and both also don't have living rebbees. Um, so it's sort of their interesting Hasidic dynasties and that they're not really dynasties. They're sort of continuing the thought and the the ideas of rebbe's who are no longer living um, with Breslau Rebbe Nachman who died, you know, 200 years ago or so. Um, and very known for kind of dancing, singing, often a lot of drug use. And there's sort of that like fine line between um, you know, and people who study, you know, historians who look at Rabbi Nachman say he's probably bipolar. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between his writings and kind of, you know, the mania and depression back and forth. Um, so often it's kind of a, a, something that attracts people who are more like those guys in the park, a little bit kind of not in this world so fully, um, if that, you know, if that makes sense. Um so yeah, so that, that's what um, how the group that he ends up with.
2: Okay, um, so should we jump into this episode and what we're going to talk about?
1: We can do that. I mean, it connects. So yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I just mean the, yeah. what we're going to yeah. talk about in this episode. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So,
2: okay. Do you want to? Do you want me to introduce it or do you want to introduce it? Go for it. Okay, so we. Um, We decided that we were going to talk about head coverings, and I'm specifically not saying kippah, um, because we're going to talk about all kinds of head coverings. And I even brought props, which I'm very excited about. Um, And uh, so (laughs) I'm glad that Norm's also excited. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about what different head coverings mean, what they might signify, what we saw in the show. Uh, As you saw, he he didn't uh, Amir didn't have his kippah and thought that people weren't saying shabbat Shalom to him because he didn't have his kippah and then one of my favorite things that people do is run with he ran with his tallest bag over his head um to get back to the shul which <laughs> Anyway, I just think it's funny. It's like when people put a tissue, like a sixth grader puts a tissue over their head so that they can say mozi. It's like, oh, all right, sure, fine. Um, but then he finds this keeper, and we're not really sure well, who gets the keeper from because the Gabi doesn't seem to remember that person, or it seems like
1: Eliyahu Navi. What? It's, a, it's an Eliyahu Anavi. Sure. Oh, um, um, yeah. Like one of those Eliyahu stories, you know. It was mystical. Yeah. It
2: was right. I was just was right. Always, right.
3: Eliyahu always is the presence when we don't know who it is.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. yeah. I just wouldn't expect it in like a 21st century film, but yes, sure. In in our liturgy, that is true. I will give you that. Um. Anyway, so we're going to talk about the different head coverings that we saw both in this show, but also in general that you might see around. So I'm going to let Rabbi Pernick begin because... His head coverings <laughs> have more to do with what we actually saw in the episode. And then I'll chime in uh, with some, some some talk of of uh, female head covering.
1: Great. So Norm brings up a great point in the chat. Isn't Surgim a reference to a specific kind yeah. of head covering? Yeah. Which is, yeah. Yes, it is, right? Um, right. Which is a kippa like mine that's knitted. Did you see um,
2: the, the picture that I sent you?
1: I saw that you sent me a picture, but I didn't. I didn't. Okay. You can yeah.
2: I'll share it,
1: yeah. You can share it. Um and that's a way of referring to people, right? They're they're referred to as Srugim because they are people who wear a kippah surga, knitted kippah. Um and you know, there are all kinds of signifiers sociologically, right? None of none of this is halachic at all, at all, at all. Even wearing a kippah is not halachic. Um there's no law that you have to wear a kippah. Um but the there's so many ways in which uh, I- identities are sort of projected on people based on what kind of kippah they wear. I remember one of, when I used to live in Charleston, uh, South Carolina, one of, one of my rabbis... T- talked about how in an interview he was asked, it was, the, I think it was a phone interview and they asked what kind of kippa he wore. <laughs> he said, so I think if you're asking me what kind of kippa I wear, I'm probably not the right fit for you. And he wore like a black velvet kippa. He's, he's pretty harady. Um But he said, you know, sort of like, I, I think if, if that's, you know, if you're really looking for someone who fits a box that neatly, like I might not be your guy. Um, and, the, you know we see here obviously in the episode um the way in which, as soon as his kippah shifts from a you know the kippah surga to the more breast lover style kippah. again, it's it 's not a real breast lover kippah. it doesn 't have the the little stuff on top and the na stuff nachman st- you know um words on it, but stylistically you know all of a sudden he 's now being looked at differently um and people are assuming all kinds of things about him you know based on. On the keeper that he's wearing, and I think it's it's like really an interesting experiment. and I know people have done that I mean, there was a story a couple of months ago, not a good story Oh, maybe it was like someone who went and wanted to experience their studying for conversion, and so the rabbi said, you know just You know, the guy said, I want to experience, you know, they say when you join the Jewish people, um, you know, do you know that we've always been oppressed and, you know, uh, for centuries and all of that. So, you know, I want to see what it's like. And he wore a keeper of the supermarket and and started getting yelled at by the person behind him in the the supermarket in the grocery store for, you know, for being Jewish, even though he wasn't actually Jewish yet. Um, So it's you know, that's the difference between wearing a kippah and not. And you know, for me personally, I started to wear a kippah all the time when I was in Israel, um, I guess two years before starting rabbinical school. And it's interesting to see, you know, for me, um, I I noticed, you know, before that I would wear it if I was like studying and then I would take it off, but it was like Sukkot time and Sukkot, you know, you're going to eat and the time you go to eat, you're in a sukkah, you're saying a blessing on Lashav Basukah. I was like, you know, you keep it on. And, even noticing, you know, you stop by a falafel place and the person, when he gives you a falafel ball, is that, you know, they always give you one to taste. Say, so, you know, shakol, shakol. You know, it, like, or you'd walk into a McDonald's to get an ice cream cone. And that, like, I, at that point, was fine eating a McDonald's ice cream cone in Israel, even from a non-kosher McDonald's because I knew the ice cream was kosher, right? You know, and, uh, you know, started walking towards a place and the the people inside, you find know, the cashier, low kosher, low kosher, like, it's not kosher. It's like, I know. I'm walking... So it really does sort of mark a, you know, it, it sort of marks a status in interesting ways. Uh, I mean, the difference between wearing and not wearing, but also, um, you know, what type of kippa you wear. And
2: can I show that? Can I show that picture now? That please. And then you can you can go through it. Um, can you share? I, yeah, I'm just trying to All show right. up. There we go. Can
1: everyone see this? yeah, I don't see any nods, yes, anyway, yes, okay, great okay, I like this,
2: okay, great, so crochet you so you could share it. you could have taken all the credit
1: I didn't read it <laughs> um, so cro okay, interesting, so crocheted says you know so this is the type that um, that Amir typically wears, you know but like, you, know, you might differentiate between you know a colored crochet versus a non colored you know I wear a black crochet does that mean you know, more uh, Haredi, I don't know. But, you know, so crocheted, the kippah surga is sort of associated with, it's as religious as a modern Orthodox conservative Judaism. So, okay, everything, you know, um, which is kind of kind of true. There, you know, someone who wears that kind of kippa is not Haredi, you know, I would say they seem to, you know, it's not something that Haredi Jews typically would wear, but anything else kind of fits suede is interesting that's kind of like a bar mitzvah kippah so it says modern conservative modern orthodox conservative Reform. I, I feel like that's something that usually is worn by um you know it's like a bar mitzvah kippah it's not something that people who wear kippah all the time normally wear so um i don't know what's what's terribly i don't
2: know i was hoping you knew <laughs> i have no idea
1: okay um, <laughs> black velvet is classic you know yeshivish chassidic harini um <laughs> my uh you know well, my dad's on the call I was a former rabbi and, and there's been times when people for their bar mitzvah kippot have like gotten black velvet or like something that looks like a black velvet kippah it's really <laughs> interesting because so it's like oh that's surprising um that you no, know, but um they, they did leave out the shrine well i guess it's not a kippah sure. yeah so um Okay, satin is that like satin's the uh, the sounds like bus? those big ones,
2: yeah. The puffy, yeah also, okay. that you might find in a bar mitzvah or something.
1: Okay, then white crocheted. So the one that's here in the example is the na 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 Nachman. That's a very breast lover with the with the strings on top also. But that's like very very you know identifiably breast love. Um, but at the same time, you know white kipot in general, the the white crocheted. Um, For one thing is is on Shabbos, a lot of people who wear colored kippo during, I actually do this too, um, who wear colored kippo during the week wear white kippo on Shabbos. It's just like a Jerusalem thing. Also wear white shirts. It's it's just a Jerusalem thing. Um, But yeah, the knit pom-pom is for, that's like very distinctly press love. Um, Okay. Bukhari and our popular children, because they stay in your head. I have some of those at my, my parents' house. Um, Yemenites.
2: It's like the really stiff, it kind of looks like the same shape as the satin one, but it's like a really stiff fabric.
1: Uh-huh. Okay. I, I, I think, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, there are ways just, uh, you know, I think in modern society, we, not in modern society, always in human history, um, we look for ways to judge people as soon as we meet them you know, and to put them into a category, which is not necessarily bad. You know, you want to, you see someone coming at you, you have ways psychologically of sort of making a snap judgment of like, is this person safe? uh, Or should I run? Like, is this person someone I might be friendly with? Or should I, you know, should I be wary of? Um, So there's also ways in which we sort of say, like, is this someone who might be kind of part of my community or not really. And kippot have sort of served that function. Again, there's absolutely zero halakhic reason why, the, you know, there, there's any such differentiators. It's just sort of like once this has become a norm, now if you wear that kippah, you're associated with a certain thing. And as soon as Amir puts on a certain a different type of kippah, suddenly he's having different types of interactions. Um, and, you know, this is sort of an exaggerated version of that. But I think it, it is something that's pretty... I would say real to experience. Like I have certainly experienced that. Um in certain ways. Yeah. Sure. So
0: I just looked up Teryline and it's a uh synthetic polyester fabric.
1: Okay. Now now I'm interested, so I'm gonna look I'm gonna look it up as well to see. because um, I, I probably when I see it I'll be like, Oh, that kind of keeper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so
2: are those like the keepas. Like the the ones that that they use at like funeral homes that you can just like the those are made up. Rabbi Barbara is shaking her head yes, and your dad is shaking his head no. So
1: very good. I will uh, show you. I'm, I'm going to share my screen okay. uh, so I can show you.
2: <laughs> okay, mixed signals.
1: So this is this is a taro lean It's not thin like the funeral. Oh, ones. okay, okay. Um, it's a thicker. It's a thicker fabric. Got it. And yeah, so there's like the funeral ones, which are very thin. And, you know, And we saw earlier with Nazi's friend in the area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Area. You know, this is something that, it, yeah, I mean, it's, I didn't know what that fabric was called, but Terralin apparently. But yeah, so it's also Haredi. It's
2: oh, these it. are the ones that have like the clip in, you know you know how that's Sometimes like a, you some, some for kids?
1: Some, yeah, some do. Okay. But I mean, it's, <laughs> I think in the, on your sheet, it said something about like, you know. Roshay Yeshiva is like a kiah that Roshay yeshiva wear like it's true it's like an alternative Haredi kiba you know there's you have a choice mm-hmm. to do velvet or terraline okay okay great my my uh, presentation is now i'm
2: glad i'm glad to add that to my vocabulary okay, my presentation includes props okay, yes, Karen, before my prop presentation
4: We also talk about the figment of uh imagination of the rabbi eh, that was not ever a part of that show. Sure.
2: Yeah, so I'm gonna inc. I'm gonna encourage us not to talk too much about it this episode because we may or may not come across that idea in other episodes, and it might become more clear as to what that is. So instead of Instead of me trying to to not tell you something and ride Parnik trying to guess, we'll just we'll leave it until until it happens again and then bring it up.
1: Like with the proposal, it seems like it's something that's sort of dropped in and they're not clarifying intentionally yet what yeah. what's going on. They're sort of like we're going to drop this here and then we'll come back to it later. Yeah,
4: I mean, I thought just just saying, I thought about when he went back to return it. Yeah, I mean, I thought about the whole crying episode and making a song and blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Blah. And then going there it
2: was like. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was very good film production.
1: I was also wondering, and I didn't go back to check, was when he, the guy he encounters is singing. Yeah. Right, when he he stops. Encounters. yeah. But is he singing the same? I didn't know the Nigun that Amir was singing when they said, like, what's your song? I didn't recognize he made that. It
2: up.
1: He just okay. made it up on the spot. non
2: existent.
1: Yeah. Like, okay, he he I made wasn't silly. sure if he was like singing that same melody that the guy the rabbi was oh. whoever the guy was singing in the shul. I don't my know. mom says no so i don't
2: yeah i don't think I don't so i think he was like singing like actual davening tunes at least that's what i'm remembering and your mom is nodding so i we're gonna go with that
1: yeah um, no i it just i was trying to figure out because usually if someone starts singing it's like a it's a tune that's familiar and i couldn't figure yeah. out what i mean we were singing i was like trying to figure out the tune i couldn't mm-hmm. so but imagine, yeah. as opposed to just making it up, made it up on his own, perhaps
2: he yeah. made up. He made it up on his own. It's probably a real tune, but he, but he was supposed to have been making it up on his own. Okay. So one thing that my community knows about me that I've talked a lot about, sometimes very openly, sometimes kind of uh, quickly, is that I don't wear a kippa. I also don't wear any kind of head covering. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I grew up very close to the Pico Robertson area, which is the more modern orthodox uh, from community, and I grew up telling my mom that I was going to, when I grew up, this is how I would frame it, I would say, when I grow up, I'm gonna be orthodox so that I can have nice hair like them, because I thought that because they were orthodox, they had nice hair, and so I too would be orthodox one day so that I could have nice hair. Um, so, even though I now understand that they had wigs on (laughs) um, the, the idea has always been with me that I would cover my hair when I'm married. I'm not married. So I don't cover my hair. Um, The conservative movement has a stance just like all other meets vote that are available to women to do, right? Like there are some meets vote that are specific to men because of men's bodies or men's obligations, There are others that that can be done by men and women, even if they were created just for just for males. Kippah is one of them. So in the reform and the conservative movement, women are encouraged, uh, are suggested, are are, um, allowed to cover their heads. Uh, I remember when I was a Roche dot camper that one of the many conversations that we had around this was should we tell girls that they have to because we tell boys that they have to, right? I grew up going to Jewish day school where boys got detention for not having a kippa, whereas I was never told to put a kippah on a day in my life. So should girls have to if boys have to when we're trying to be an egalitarian society? So when I was about mitzvah, I was told that I had to wear a kippah on the bima because I was going to be reading Torah. So this was the kippah that I wore because I did not want to wear a kippah. So it was like the girly version of a kippah. I'm sure many of you have seen these and many of you might even have these. Um, It has a clip in the back and I would just put it on my head and I wore this. um,
1: Correct, Norm. Norm was saying that it's it's not a mitzvah, it's a minah. I'm just saying. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. That's correct. Okay. Um, which is why I said is correct. So then what I stopped wearing a kippah after my bat mitzvah because no one, no one was telling me even when I went up to the vima that I had to cover my head. It was really something that the shul that I grew up at was telling us to do for the for the bar bat mitzvah kid. When I went to Israel, I knew that I was going to be a rabbi a few years later and that I would be in situations in which I would be asked to cover my head. Um, I don't love wearing a kippah, probably because quite frankly, I grew up with all brothers. I have three younger brothers. And I also grew up in schooling where boys were told to do these things and girls weren't. And so in my mind still, I'm sure if I went to therapy, I could work through this, that, that these things are very male. These things are very masculine to me. However, I went to a kippah store on Ben Yehuda and, um, and I got two kippot. I got one that is black that I'll show you here. It's like a little, a cute little, it's like knitted very nicely and pretty and looked more feminine to me than not. Um, that if I'm told to wear a kippah during the week, <clears throat> I will wear this because I like that it doesn't stand out. I have dark brown hair, so I like that it doesn't stand out. And then I have a white kippah that I keep in my Shabbos talis bag, which is not here, so I can not show it to you. Um, and I wear that one if I'm told to cover my head. I, in my current job, am not told that I have to. Um, as my congregants know, there is in the bylaws women are supposed to cover their head when they go to the bema, and I just learned that recently. And it's something that I've thought a lot about. But I've we, we've uh, spoken enough about it that that everyone's comfortable with uh, my practice. And but if there if I'm doing a bat mitzvah, which I will be doing this Shabbat. Because the bat mitzvah girl is being told she has to cover her hair with a kippah, I will wear a kippah without asking any questions. I'll come to the service wearing a kippah. I will wear the kippah very proudly because I think that is it is important. Hi, Varid. I think that it is important as a... Female role model and female rabbi to show that this is something that I will do, um, even if I don't have a whole existential conversation with the bat mitzvah girl about why it's not my practice. So I always wear a kippah if, the bat, if there is a bat mitzvah. Um, I don't wear one if there's a bar mitzvah. We could talk about that another time. So I want to show you other, other. Head coverings that women are using these days, so there's obviously a shale right you could you could wear a wig and cover your hair as as those of you who saw unorthodox saw there are also extreme orthodox movements where the woman shaves her head so that there is not any hair that could ever be seen. Um, also, in listening to some going down rabbit holes after watching Unorthodox, um, there are also some women in those movements for whom they know that others are shaving their heads and they recognize that because they're wearing a shaitl and sometimes, let's call it tichel, like um scarf over the wig that is very hot. <laughs> so to not have hair also and three layers you know to your skull that that to not have hair um is sometimes a benefit. It's not the reason why they do it though. So there is in the conservative movement specifically and like leaning more traditional conservative, there is something that's con- kind of come out called the headband nation. And so I wanted to show you a few different things that again, I'm not I'm not married, so I don't wear these things for these purposes, but I'm gonna show you what they could look like. I guess if like my husband walked through the door right now, I'd be very prepared. Um but so here's a headband, right, that just it has a little bit more fabric than just like one of those wire headbands that you might see young girls wear. Um This is also a thing. It's very popular in Israel when it's cold, which is why I have it because it goes over your ears, but it also has more thickness, I guess, to it. And the idea behind Headband Nation is that you are, you are covering your head like a kippah would cover your head, but in a more effeminate way. And so you are showing reverence. For God, for a moment that you are in, some people wear it all the time by covering your head, just like a man would cover his head with a kitan, but you're doing it with something that, you know, Rabbi Pernick wouldn't be caught wearing this, but I would because it's a feminine garment, right? Or do you want, you can wear this. I, I'll send it. Um, okay. The other, <laughs> The other thing, and I can't remember why I bought this hat, it might have been because of our Lafelle trip, but I don't remember. We were told we had to cover our hair no matter if we were married or not. And I didn't have a hat. So I bought a hat in Israel with my friend Sarah. And this is I've never worn this again, because it's a it's a it's a hat, like that I would cover my whole head with. Um and this is something that you might see women wear just over the top of their head with the hair out, or some women, depending on their religiosity would put their head all the way inside this their, which hair,
1: is, their hair all the way inside not their head all the way inside.
2: Their, their hair their <laughs> head is funnier though um their hair <laughs> now i kind of want to see one i put my whole head in their hair all the way inside this um which is the reason that i had to buy it because i needed something that covered my whole all my hair um I don't know. I don't know why I have it. I have it, and I bought it in Israel, and I don't remember why. But it must have been Lafelle because Sarah was there. So um, so that was all a very in-depth um, presentation with props, which I was excited about. But I'm happy to answer any questions. I think the one thing that I will say that that... Um, kind of makes me different than others in the conservative movement, like the cantor of our shul wears a kippah every day, Um, is that for some reason, and again, I think this is based on how I was brought up, kippah just isn't my thing. And uh, it's not something that I feel comfortable wearing. It's something that when I wear it, I don't feel any more connected to God or any more religious or any holier by wearing it. In fact, I typically am very aware of the fact that I'm wearing it, um, which is distracting. And and it's something that I look forward to when I get married, being able to cover my head. And so in not covering my hair, that to me feels like like a thing to look forward to as opposed to something that I could do now um, and would never change. That's very different for a lot of different conservative women. Those who belong to Betham um, know that we have women who come to shul with hats every week. We have women who come to shul with their heads completely covered every week. We have women who don't wear kippot, and we have women who wear kippot all the time. So I think the conservative movement, and I'm sure um, Rabbi Perna can speak to the, to the reform movement as well, that, that women do a lot of different things um, in terms of how they cover their hair.
1: Yeah. Okay. I would encourage, I mean, if we uh, open up the floor now, some um, sort of been in, yeah, a good amount of talking. But Bonnie, I see you have a, you're muted. Josh,
2: Josh just told me that I talked a lot. Yeah, Bonnie.
1: Well, oh, we both of us, you know, we presented. So now, yeah, other people have thoughts to Thank share. Very nice.
0: Very
5: nice. You've talked about types of head coverings and Habits, but you haven't discussed the law. Where is it written in the Torah about head coverings, and is it or is it rabbinic? And um, what 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 is the reason, and what is the reason for the head shaving among certain um, Orthodox women? Is that totally modesty, or is there some other Jewish law concerning that?
1: Yeah. Sure. So, I can get started on kippah. So, um, as when Norm commented, you know, saying it's not a mitzvah, and I said, correct, there is no law in the Torah, nor is there a law in the Mishnah, nor is there a law in the Shalchan Aruch or in any other code of Jewish law, saying that you have to wear a kippah. Um, it is, so, in the Talmud, there's a few stories, I can actually put them up on the screen, Um yeah. So there's a couple stories about, um, in the Talmud, about people wearing kipots, rabbis in the Talmud. So, for example, um, there's a story that Rav Huna said he would not walk four cubits with an uncovered head. Um, there's then this great, again, this hymn saying that he would do it. Um, there's a story about these astrologers who told Rav Nachman bar Yitzhak's mother, your son will be a thief. And then... Because of that, she, his mom didn't allow him to uncover his head. Um, you know, she said to her son, cover your head so that the fear of heaven will be upon you and pray for divine mercy. I didn't know why. One day his keeper fell off and he saw this palm tree and was overcome by impulse and climbed up and bit off a bunch of dates with his teeth, right? So there's stories like that, um, in the Talmud about, Head coverings, not kippah specifically, but head coverings more generally, which all seem to be coming from a place of humility or piety, um, and all relates. And I can you know there, I can show more sources if people want to see, but they're all things that individuals are saying they do as a way of remembering, either remembering God is above them or um, sort of in some way demonstrating a yirat shemayim, like a, a fear of sin. Um, but none of it is required. It never says in the Torah. Never again. All of these are rabbis saying it's good to cover your head because it's a sign of humility, just like walking bent over, not with a you know, not standing up straight. Um, so right. So uh, um, those are similar things. And um, the well, actually, I'll, I'll share my screen one more time because the the Maharshal, who's a rabbi around the time, same time as the Shulchan Aruch, as the code of Jewish law. You know, writes, so he's like, I don't understand what people are talking about saying, everyone is wearing a it. Like, this isn't a thing. Like, what's going You know, and he ends by saying, you know, by quoting this source from um, the Talmud and Kundushin that we just saw about, you know, where Abba Yehoshua ben Levi says, you know, you shouldn't walk four cubits with an upright posture because it's seen as haughty. And then Rav Huna said he would not walk four cubits with his head uncovered because he said the divine presence is above my head. Um, so for one thing, it seems like we're more strict about walking with an erect posture than walking with head uncovered. And either way, it's you know, things that people took upon themselves. And She says nowadays, this is last line, the opposite is the case. You know, they're not careful about avoiding an erect posture. On the contrary, the crowd and the rich walk around with their heads held high. But they're careful about uncovering their heads, not because of piety, but because they think this is the Jewish religion. Right? So there's sort of a signifier that that right like with uh Nazi and Amir, it's like you're not wearing a kippah, people are gonna think you're not Jewish. Um and or you know, you're not religious. It's it's has a very deep cultural significance. It has I'm not going to say zero, but close to zero halakhic significance. Certainly not required. And it seems to be sort of an individual act of demonstrating your piety. Um, not all, in any way required.
2: Sorry. It also is something that signifies that you're Jewish, right? When we went to Ramallah, um, the, the men were not allowed to wear kippot. They had to wear hats because they were not allowed to show their religion on the outside of them, right, and so I, that that is one of the things also that when talking about kippah and this idea that just because it's a minhag that's been practiced so much and then become this kind of category of minhag kehalacha that that we know that you will continue to do it because it allows you to also affirm that which you feel on the inside, on the outside. Um, And so there's no punishment for not, but there's also reason to wear it. Um, And just very quickly in terms of the women shaving their head, that it's, it's in this category of, of going kind of the extra, the extra mile, right? That if you are, if if female hair um, is seen as a type of of seduction or nakedness, that you are not supposed to show any of that hair to anybody but your partner. And in, in that denomination of orthodoxy, right, we're talking very strict orthodoxy, the women take it one level further and say, well, then I shouldn't be showing my hair to anybody. That if it's that Seductive if it's that um, um, powerful that maybe it shouldn't be that I have that I that I have that much hair um, at all so it's it's a position that I, I couldn't find much information on other than that that I saw that a lot um, when I looked it up. but then again, as I mentioned before, there's also women who talk about how because other people are doing it, they recognize that there is something that is also easy about it because they're not going to be showing their hair anyway. So to be able to cover it um, with ease and with comfort is better.
1: Well, just if I could say quickly, yeah, I I see that Barbara also have... um,
2: If they shave their heads, then why would
5: they need to cover their head at all? Because there's no hair there.
1: Well, so I think the idea really is well, covering your head, right? So even if you're bald, you still can cover your head, right? Men still cover their head even if they're bald. Sometimes they cover their hair because they're bald. Um, But the, uh, you know, I think in the Haredi context with women, there's this idea that, you know, the mitzvot are things that everyone is supposed to follow. So, okay, one way of demonstrating your loyalty and fealty to God is by observing the mitzvot. But like, how do you show you really, really love God? Um, And if you're you're already going to do the mitzvot anyway, like, how do you show that you're so committed is always by, by adding on more and more chumras. Right. Adding more stringencies beyond what's required by the law to show I'm so committed. I'm going to do this, you know, all the way. So, okay, fine. You're supposed to cover your hair. Some people say, you know, I'm not going to allow, allow any hair to show. And some people say, you know, I'm going to take it, you know, the next level humra. I'm going to shave my head. So no one, you know, there's no possibility of my hair being out there. And then that becomes a norm. So it's sort of. Chomra, and then that becomes nor- normalized. And then so now the next generation is another level of Chomra, and then that becomes normalized, and then it just keeps building, right? Um, is, is it law? No, none is of it. Told, no, it is not Jewish law. Um, but, it, it, yeah, it would fall in that category of Chomra, of adding adding stringency upon stringency upon stringency um, as a way of kind of showing that you know, what, what's for the previous generation was stringency, for the next generation is just minha. It's the
2: game of I can be more devout than you were.
1: Right. Well, I'm thinking about the, you know, so there's uh, interesting stories when it comes to, to Jewish law. This is very, very different kind of context. But, um, and I'll get to you, Jeff and Barbara, don't worry, I didn't forget about you. I just want to, there's an interesting historical development here where, not when it comes to um, head covering. Oh, no, more people raising their hands. Okay, we'll get to everyone. Don't All worry. Right. Um, quick story. So when it comes to to laws with mikvah, with women going to mikvah, so like original, it sort of was one of these things where it became stricter. You know, if you follow the Torah. Seven days after you know your period starts, you go to the mikvah. and then the rabbis kind of expand that and say no, you know whatever, no three days, you know whatever, you know you wait three days and then you go to the mikvah. then you wait four days and then you go to the, you know you wait four days, then you count seven days, then you go to the mikveh then you wait five days, then you count seven days, then you go to the Um and so Maimonides talks about a minhag that developed in in his days of women when their period started waiting seven days. Then starting to count seven days, right, the Shivanakim the the seven days, and then going to mikvah. So ultimately waiting 14 days before going to the mikvah, which it was sort of presented by the women as like we're being machmir, we're adding chumras, but was also a form of birth control. Um, and he, you know, you're saying this is a terrible thing because, you know, by adding on all these comers, you're actually not allowing babies to be born. And so, and, and probably the women knew that and it's probably why they were doing it. But, um, you know, there's like those, uh, the downsides that can happen of, uh, you know, of adding stringency upon stringency is sometimes it's actually, you're like ultimately doing the opposite of what you were trying to do.
2: It's funny that you just what? brought up Nita, because I thought that you were going to talk about how. There's also the reason that people that women will give in in those uh, in those communities for shaving their head because they're going to mikvah more often. Um, And that's where I thought you were going, wow. Um, that there is that there's also because they're doing more of those practices, that they are worried that if they go under in the mikvah, that if they have long hair that not every part of them will end up under the water. And so they cut their hair very, very short so that they don't have to worry about that since they're going to mikvah so often.
5: Okay. So just so that I clearly understand the, the covering of the head for both men and women is not law and it's not rabbinic. It's
1: actually custom. So, so men and women is different. I will say, you know, what we're really talking about is for men, for women, it's understood. It's it's a debate about whether it's law or minhag um, it says in in uh, tractate ketubot that a woman a husband can divorce his wife cuz she doesn't cover her hair Forget that what it. oh a man um, among the reasons i mean it's sort of giving examples of how we have no fault divorce in judaism and sort of in giving examples of you know a man can divorce his wife if he doesn't like her food or you know it's sort of basically the idea of no fault divorce but it includes within that if she goes around with her hair uncovered um
2: you also wouldn't, you wouldn't find a woman in these communities. You wouldn't find a woman not covering her head. Whereas if a man, you know, dropped his kippah, it wouldn't be, he would put it back on his head immediately, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. A woman would never find herself
1: without her
5: head Yeah. I just want to know what's the mitzvah and the commandment that a woman so,
1: so for women, it's more complicated. For men, it's purely minhag. For women, uh, right. It's like, there are those who say it's a commandment and there are those who say it's not. And if you read the Talmud, you could read it either way, essentially is what it comes down. We
2: can, to. we can learn about this in Midrash Abani. How about that?
1: <laughs> yeah. okay. so it's, it's a debate.
2: Okay. Um, okay. Sorry. Let's, uh,
1: we, I know let's start with Jeff and then Barbara and then Norm. If Norm's
6: Sorry. To, yeah. A little, a little personal background. I grew up in a reform synagogue in Worcester, Temple Emanuel. Um, in, in those days, we all wore yarmulkes when we went to the sanctuary and bar mitzvah and everything. And then uh, through many years of college and graduate school, I didn't go to temple very much. But when I came down here and I joined another uh, reformed temple, I noticed a lot of guys did not wear yarmulkes. And I felt very uncomfortable, even though I hadn't uh, been going to temple much. I just felt very uncomfortable. So I do. When I go, when I go to show, I wear a yarmulke all the time. But, you know, a lot of people don't. It's just how habits die hard. Um, you know, you don't again it's not a law, uh and it's not even customary at uh, Gates of Prayer that, that everybody wear a but but I grew up like that and it's just uh you know it stayed with me. And I did want to show you one other thing in terms of yarmulkes. The Red Sox keepah oh, with Red Sox yarmulke. In the Red Sox Yarmina.
1: Yeah, perfect. That's uh yeah, beautiful. Dad, do you want anything you wanna say about keepotte in the reform movement and and um just a brief make a brief, you know,
7: no, I was I was the assistant rabbi at Temple Emmanuel right, in Worcester right, from or right, Wista, right. yeah, from but, uh, yeah. With, with Stanley David's in 1982 to 85. So, oh
1: gosh. <clears throat> but, um, and, uh, if I'm also interested, if there's like a little bit of the um, sort of within the Reform context, because I know originally people mm-hmm. did not wear a kippot and that was a thing, and then it, it kind of changed over time.
7: Yeah, I mean, I th- I think you know the The variety of kippot you saw before, you can see all of those in any reform service because they're not being worn to indicate a religious philosophy it's It's really more style and I have most of those just you know on my shelf behind me, and it's kind of a question of what am I wearing that day and what color coordinates and et cetera um, but um, you know it's interesting because when I grew up. I mean, I remember back in my bar mitzvah, which was in Detroit, and um, I'm almost positive that I did not wear a kippah, and I don't think anybody did. Um, actually, the rabbis wore a, I guess it was sort of a tallit. Uh, may have been more of a stole. But now the norm is that, you know, most men will, but it, but it varies. And I think it depends on the part of the country that you're in as well. Um, you know, up here in the Northeast, even in the very liberal reform temples, I think most men will wear some type of kippah. Um, but in other parts of the country, I don't think that's the case.
2: Yeah, in Los Angeles, the reform movements, I mean, there are reform shuls that I know of, at least. Um, the You might see more women wearing tallit and kippah than you do men.
1: <clears throat> Thank you, that Okay, Barbara. I see Eileen also...
2: Okay,
0: mine is really a question and I may have misunderstood when Rabbi Schatz was talking about the gold one that you had. The the gold.
2: Yeah, the beaded one, yeah.
0: Not the one, no, not the one not the one that looks like crochet crocheted. I'm
2: trying no no, to no yeah, right. the beaded, yeah.
0: Okay. And I'm gonna ask Rabbi Pernick, does it
6: you know what elder. Jesse
0: Wilson wears on her head?
1: <laughs> oh yeah. So,
0: is that uh, the same as what Rabbi Schatz was talking about?
1: Um, it's different. So there's there's sort of different Israeli styles. What Jesse wears is a very Israeli style um, kind of scarf. So Israeli what? women tend to wear their hair up more, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, when people see the Wilsons, they think they're Israeli, and they're they're not. Um, but it's so one thing is what Rabbi Rabbi Shots had like that the hats, which is one thing that you all often Israeli women will wear their hair up covered by a hat, and then there's other styles, and I don't know all the terminology. I'm sure if my sister was here, she she would. This is, this uh,
2: is very fun though to hear you go through the
1: terminology. Yeah, because it's not a tichel. I like it's yeah. Yeah. Now. And
0: I don't know. I mean, my thing about it is um, both uh, Rabbi Greenberg and Rabbi Tabalovsky's wife, wives wore those.
1: Yeah. Right. And, my
2: <laughs> and also, um, are you talking about like a rap? Is that yeah, you're like the Ethan,
0: and Ethan's wife? I mean, Blanking on Ethan's last name, but who yeah, was,
6: Lyndon. was a
1: like conservative
0: a, yeah. rabbi. And she also wore them. And I was like, I must have missed something living in Texas, because all it, of a sudden it seemed like Orthodox and conservative women yeah. were wearing these head cover. They, yeah. they look
2: like scarves, but they're... I know yeah I know exactly what you're talking about um, typically women who are wearing them will, will call them wraps because what they do is they literally are a big piece of fabric that you can wrap in different in different um, directions uh, and the reason that the reason I think that conservative women started wearing them is because they look nicer um, than what they might have been wearing before. They're they're more fashion forward. They're often very beautiful designs. Um, as Roy Pernick mentioned, they they kind of have a a modern entity to them because Israeli women are often wearing them. Um, so there's a market for them, and I think that that's how it kind of crossed. the I know that, for example, the Modern Orthodox synagogue that we are very close to, uh, both geographically and relationally, that. If you saw a mix of women from these two synagogues together in a room, you wouldn't necessarily, based on their headdress, know who goes to which shul. Um, so those, those things have kind of crossed over. I think if you saw a woman wearing a kippah, you would know, oh, she must go to Betham. Um, that's not really happening at the modern Orthodox shul. Right. But,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, it was like, and I just recently saw a picture of Dalia Topolovsky, at a big formal thing, and she was wearing she was wearing one, and I was sort of surprised that I don't know. I don't think maybe she probably doesn't even have a wig.
1: Right. Yeah. I think that's kind of become again a norm. I'm going to say the norm, but it's and I think it really comes out of Israel, and then it's sort of you know as. This as things happen, sort of stylish in Israel and the cool Israeli from women are where are you know do it and then it, you know it. Both you know Orthodox and conservative women are going to Israel and they are saying "Oh, those are cool; those wraps." Like you know, and so right, they,
0: and
2: they're not wearing some
0: little shmata. exactly. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah.
2: no more schmata Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, Leonard and Rebecca have their hand up.
1: Okay, and Eileen I and Norm, we haven't forgotten about you either. Oh, okay. sorry. Yeah, no, we're good.
6: I was wondering what it is in the uh, Orthodox world about making sure you wear a kippah when you're eating. I can give you uh, two examples. Uh, I used to, uh, once upon a time, I worked at a company where the president of the company was Orthodox, and he did not wear a kippah all day long, except when he was eating. And then we also have a Haredi, uh, Rebecca's uncle, in Philadelphia, and the first time I visited him, he had no complaints at all, or didn't express any complaints at all, until he offered me something to eat when I visited him. And then he insisted that I put a kippah on. So I'm just wondering what the connection there is. Okay, great. So I'm just gonna pull this back up.
1: Um, when the Shalach the Code of Jewish Law talks about kippot, um, but it says there are those who say, it's, again, not law, but custom, there are those who say that it's forbidden to bring remembrance from one's mouth, i.e. say God's name, with an uncovered head. And there are those that say one should protest against entering a synagogue with an uncovered head. You know, if someone's walking into shul without a kippah, you should say, hey, you don't have a kippah on. Um, but the key is the, you know, mentioning God's name. So if you're saying a bracha before you eat, anything you know it's a different bracha for different different blessing for different types of food um it's like going to a synagogue you're you're going to say god's name hopefully um so some people who don't wear a kippah all the time do wear a kippah when they're going to say god's name where that exactly comes from is not super clear um i mean there's in in the talmudic story i mentioned before about you know the mother telling her son to cover his head and, you know, cover your head and pray for divine mercy. So maybe it's from there. This idea of, you know, God will be happier if you're praying for, you know, praying if you have something on your head. It's not so clear, but that becomes an idea that's specifically connected to mentioning God's name, which then becomes connected with eating and praying. Because those are times when you...
2: You're also not just blessing the food before you eat it. You're also saying whole bracha after you eat it. So there's right. there's a lot of blessing happening around eating. Um, and I know specifically at Ramah, the reason we have kids where men, boys, wear kippot uh, at meals is because they also go right into mincha. Now, obviously, that's not the case everywhere in the world. Um, but given the... The, the hour of things that they would be prepared to be in a prayer setting, even if it's not just because the food, but because prayer is going to follow.
1: Okay, hey, Norm. No? <laughs> Was that okay?
2: Norm often has really good things to say, so it makes sense yeah. that we thought At he, some did.
1: Point he had yeah. a hand off. <laughs> but, Okay, <laughs> Eileen. <laughs> You're muted, though. You're muted, I Eileen. Mean. I want to tell a
3: very funny story. Okay. Um, a reception was given at the Reformed Temple Sinai in New Orleans. Uh, and I'm welcoming the new Catholic bishop to the community. And we attended, and Rabbi Cohn stood mm-hmm. up and gave this very nice sermon, um, really stating his background as having come from an Orthodox family, but that had made the movement into the Reformed community, and outlined all of his history. And then he welcomed the bishop. The bishop stood up and in his full regalia and said to Rabbi Cohn, um, after thanking him and all of the usual uh, normal statements, he said to Rabbi Cohn, however, I want to give you a gift because you come from a background in which it was appropriate that you wear a head covering I am giving you my red beanie and took it off and put it on Rabbi Cohn's head. That's awesome. <laughs> and I tell you everybody was really hysterical. <laughs> so uh obviously the Catholics revere having a head cover. <laughs> yes. At, least by, by <laughs> At least by the bishops. At
1: least by the bishops,
7: is that
2: yeah. Yeah, I mean you bring up a really great point that a lot of um, you know, a lot, a lot of religions, especially in the the more quote orthodox of a religion, you'll see head coverings, right? You'll see men, women, all kinds of head coverings, not just in prayer settings, but all over, um, and of different kinds, right? Of full, full head coverings for women versus, you know, half head coverings, um, and those those things also happen in religions outside of Judaism in terms of the. Kind of spectrum of what kind of head covering is being worn and and used, but it's all because of this piety and this reverence for for a deity for for God in our case.
5: I think that in the Christian tradition, it's customary for men to remove their hats when they go into a church.
2: Uh, yeah, he, sorry. I thought Opposite. someone else is going to answer. I believe that you are correct. I I know that there are different headdresses that leadership wear. Um, but in terms of just someone who might be walking into a church, I know that that a hat specifically. If you're wearing a hat, you might take off a hat. They don't have a kippa, um, but you would take off a hat to show some kind of um, honor. I don't know if that's still the case. I know that used to be the case, and that used to be kind of the modest way of. Of showing uh, reverence for the space that you're in, I assume that it still that it still stands, but I don't know.
4: In China, yeah. uh, Jews that Jews and Muslims that entered China uh, became uh, distinguished by the Chinese by the type of kippah uh, uh, head covering that they were wearing. So one had white. Uh, Keepal, let's say, or and the Muslims might have had blue, so that's the Chinese differentiated them in a positive sense that way.
1: Right, and I think that's sort of a you know a great point to kind of also wrap it all up. Um, is the ways in which it becomes a signifier, you know, and is it white? You know, there's no reason behind the you know one group wearing white and one group wearing blue but it sort of becomes a thing. Like, even when I, you know, I often will, like I said, wear a white kippah on Shabbos and i have like, had Israelis come up to me and be like, ah, it's so nice to see a white kippah because it's like an Israeli, it's like a Yerushalmi thing. I don't know why, but like people in Jerusalem wear white kippah on I don't, like, um And so like Israelis, when they see it, they're like, ah, it's like, it's, you know, it feels right. you know." Um, so it's just sort of an interesting, again, sort of purely sociological. There's nothing halachic there. Um certainly not with the different types, but you end up, you know, standing out if you're not wearing the type that your community um, wears. And, you know, and often as people are like, changing their practice, their kippah changes along with it. I remember I used to wear a kippah through, you know, a knitted kippah that was not black. And at one point I switched to wearing a black kippah. And I remember my mom was here, like, worrying about that. And I was like, no, there's like actually no reason. It's just easier. I don't have to worry about matching. It's just like, it's, you know, one color matches my hair. (laughs) You know, like, um, but it also like comes across as firmer in some way. You know, so it's, um, there's like all these things where it kind of has some kind of a, societal indicator but there's again there's nothing deeper than that um but it's it's sufficiently notable that the whole name of the show is Srugim and people know that means modern orthodox jews you know so um yeah and it definitely does that
2: the last thing that i will say to to wrap this up is that i didn't talk about this so much because it's not it's not the way that i um focus on kippah but i want to just empower those of you who are women um, or who have women in your lives who like to wear kippah. I think it's a wonderful thing. I, I didn't mean to come across as someone who doesn't wear it and that that should be an example. Um, I think everyone should be allowed to choose for themselves what is comfortable for them, whether that's wearing the doily of of days of, you know, your, um, that that they could wear when they go up to the to the bima, or if that's no head covering, or if that's full head covering, whatever it is, or if that's a keepa, Um, I think any of those things for a woman specifically, I think are perfectly okay and, and wonderful for women to be able to, to have that as a freedom of theirs to be able to choose what to wear. Um, and the last thing that I'll say that I hope changes in across genders is that, that, <coughs> excuse me, is that it's not something that feels forced. Um, I was in Durham, North Carolina two Shavuots ago, and Josh was there, and um, I walked into the, the sanctuary, and services had not started, and I had not even put my stuff down before someone ran up to me and smacked a kippa on my head, and I turned around and I said, give me a second. Like, you gotta just, just chill. I know what I'm doing. And they didn't mean anything by it, but it comes across as very harsh. Um, when we say to people, this is what you must do. This is what must happen. And people who know what a kippah is and, and what it's used for are going to put it on because they know that it's a respectful thing to do. So I hope that as we're around children specifically and in school settings that we, are not making students or adults feel like it is something that is pressurized or forced, um, but that they can learn about it and, and learn why it's something that's important and can, can help signify us as a
1: people. Okay, I'll just, I want to make one more comment before I come to Karen. Because,
2: well, Karen so has like, the last word.
1: Yeah, that wasn't, by the way, it was, it was a different the uh, you know, it wasn't my show in Durham that, uh. No,
2: you know, it was not Josh who came and slapped a keep on my head. That is true.
1: The, yes. <laughs> the, other, the, uh, yeah. Other sorry
2: show. If I, sorry if that
1: was confusing. Yeah. No, but I was thinking about when you were saying that, uh, when I was my brother in law. So many to most, I would say most Orthodox men who are not married don't wear a toss, typically, when not really. Um, you know, I do when I'm here, you know in shul but um but typically orthodox men who are not married don't wear a tallis but i remember my brother-in-law shul in baltimore there was a guy like if i walked in if any guy walked in he would like run over to you with a tallis and was like okay like or like you don't have a tallis on He was like yeah i'm aware like you know, so there is something about that and you know it's uh yeah it's important to allow people to you know often people they are making decisions consciously Um, So as much as it's good, you know, the Shulchan Aruch says that, you know, you should tell someone if they're walking into Shul without a keeper. There are those who say you should tell them. um, But there's also, um, you know, custom variants and it's important to recognize those and that people might be making a decision consciously. Okay, Karen, last word.
2: You have to unmute first. Oh, there you go. Now we can hear you. Oh,
4: okay. So two short stories. One, I always wanted to wear a talis. was not brought up religiously. or But I always wanted, but I felt I couldn't unless there was some ceremony. I was not a bat mitzvah. And so actually Susan Leiter, a rabbi that we are, mm-hmm. did a, like a sisterhood event mm-hmm. and did a ceremony for those who wanted to wear a talis. And I bought one when Molly, my daughter, was bought. So just saying that. I am also a gabbi at uh, Rabbi Shatz synagogue. And as a Gabbai, if a woman is coming up to have an aliyah, I run over to them with a kippah. I don't slam it on her head. I will just offer it. Yeah. And I had one woman say, no. And I didn't know what to do. And the same thing with men and talit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we do offer tallit when men walk in. Mm-hmm. So, very Interesting. From those who have
2: to enforce rules yeah. so, uh anyway for sure, for sure. Simeon, everybody. Hi Simeon, Karen, and thank you for ending this in such a beautiful note. <laughs> yeah.
1: My dad is uh asking all kinds of, you know questions about why why single men don't wear toy totes, which I said I will probably get to in a later episode. I imagine' it's something that will come back up, so we'll uh we'll we'll leave that it's another thing where there's no good reason for it. it's just a uh, you know. A min but we'll, we'll probably get to it's that. A, it's
2: maybe. a it's a definer. It's so that people know who's.
1: Yeah, who's I, without to having to see seen through game, it seems like the kind of thing that might come up. You know. I
2: think they will daven again. Yes, I think it's we can. So I yeah.
1: get to it later. Yeah, I haven't got to see material for later. You know, so, uh, so I'll call it there for the evening. Thank you Thank all for you joining. Have
2: fun. See you soon. Thank you.